All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to H2O. Really excited to have you here with us today. Um, like Brian said, my name's Joe. I'm on staff here with H2O. Um, also, Brian stole my thunder on praising Nolan for the Indian shirt. I was, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan myself. We're only three games back of the Detroit, of, uh, the, not the Tigers, the Minnesota Twins, yes. So for the three of you that care about baseball, that's a big, big deal. So we're really excited, and uh, thank you, Nolan, for sharing your story. But anyways, um, like Brian said, we're in the middle of um, a series this summer um, called the Hall of Faith. And um, what we've tried to do, because we've had multiple different speakers throughout the summer, we've tried to unify behind a similar theme. And what we've done is we've looked at the um, book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 11, and identify different characters in the Old Testament and um, look at the story behind their names. And if you've been with us, and if you haven't, um, I'll just let you know one theme that we've kind of had throughout this series, along with faith, has been looking at these people and seeing that a lot of them weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of them had flaws and struggles um, but in spite of their mess, God used them. And so what's cool about that is in spite of our experiences or, or the different um, things that we've gone through in our lives, we are not too far from God being able to use you and um, being a part of his blessing the world. In fact, um, the passage uh, that's kind of been an anchor verse for us um, in this series is Hebrews chapter 12, and it says that these people were witnesses to a powerful God and the things he'd done. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, just says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so our hope in this series is really to look at Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and then be inspired by the witnesses of these people. And so today, specifically, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31, and we're going to be learning about um, the battle of Jericho, and specifically one of the heroes of the story named Rahab. And so, again, you can um, turn there to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you a second to flip there. Um, and it's, we're going to be in verses 30 and 31, just two verses. And it says this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to spies. And so today, like I said, we're going to learn about the battle of Jericho and specifically um, an unlikely heroine named Rahab. And um, some of you who maybe grew up going to church or maybe have heard this story before might have had some interactions with it. And if you didn't or you haven't heard this story, great, welcome. Um, we're going to be talking about this story today. But if you have any experiences with this story or even as you're listening to it today, there might be some concerns that you have about this story. And I really think it'd be appropriate just to address some of those concerns quickly. Um, and they are this. Um, did this story, did this event actually happen? And then secondly... Why did this event need to happen at all? So first, did this event actually happen? In um, academia, there are many scholars and um, archaeologists that'll say, this story in the Bible never happened. That there are, there are people that'll say, hey, we, we've been to Jericho and we can't find any walls and it doesn't match up with what the Bible says. 
And so for us as Christians, we believe in the authority and the historicity of the Bible. We believe the Bible is completely accurate and completely true. And so what do we do with this, these accounts? How do we manage this? Well, um, there's actually been some archaeologists that have counteracted this argument from some of the other scholars. One of them is named Dr. Bryant Wood. Dr. Bryant Wood, and he's done some research, and he was actually covered by the New York Times um, in the 90s, and he has actually helped discover and lay out um, places where, one, where Jericho is, and two, um, that the walls, there were walls in Jericho, and that they fell in the exact way the Bible lays out and describes. And this is really incredible, because, you know, for us as Christians, we don't just believe in mythology. We don't just believe that these stories are, are just stories and there was no historical weight to them, but actually we believe these events actually happened and took place in the way that the Bible describes them. That our faith also doesn't just rest in the words, but actually the history of what took place behind the words as well. So that's, that's the first thing, and I would encourage you to do more research. Dr. Brian Wood was his name, um, and you can check out more information about that. But the second concern is, why did this event need to happen? And specifically, a question that people will ask is, you know, if God's a God of love, why do we need the conquest at all? Why did, why did um, God tell people to go attack other people or take land, take territory? And I think in order to answer this, we have to understand um, first that we are approaching at times the Bible and history as 21st century Americans. And a lot of times we read the text as 21st century Westerners. And, you know, a lot of times we can point a finger at history and say, we are perfect now, you had everything completely wrong, um, which isn't true at all. <laughs> we have a lot of mistakes as well in our current day and age. But the real important thing is this, that this event was a unique moment in history. This was a very unique moment in history. God wanted to show his power to Israel and to the world. Because God um, promised Abraham, which we'll see in this story today, God promised Abraham that he was going to bless Israel with land. And, and, and he wanted to show his power to the people of Israel and to the Canaanites and to the world as well. And, you know, there are times where we'll read this passage and we'll think of, you know, things like, well, what about, you know, colonialism or Manifest Destiny or the Crusades? And it is true that his, historically there are people that have used this text poorly to try to justify um, either killing people or taking lands. And I just want to say that was wrong. There, there's no justification to use this text for those things. This was a unique moment and a unique in, event in history when God wanted to show his power. And so, and uh, along with that too, and this is something we have to keep in mind throughout the story too, the Canaanites were morally corrupt. God was bringing about his justice against the people of Canaan, the people that um, the Israelites will be fighting today. A couple of examples. Number one, um, they practiced extreme sexual immorality. And you can look at Leviticus, Leviticus 18, and it breaks down some of those things. Um, but we'll actually see in the story one of the examples of extreme sexual immorality um, through Rahab the prostitute. She was a prostitute, probably not by choice. And these people, they practice things like sex trafficking and slavery and really evil things. And along with that, too, they practice child sacrifice. They would sacrifice their children to um, the gods that they would serve, Moloch and other things like that. And so God was bringing about justice against these people for the, their evil in their lives. 
And a lot of times, you know, we say, well, you know, isn't God a God of love? Why would he also bring justice? Well, both of those things aren't contradictory to each other. God actually is a God of love and a God of justice, and he brings justice against those who do evil and also to save those who are suffering as well. And so the key part of this story is to know that in spite of these things, to step back from this story too, God has a bigger plan in mind. And his plan is to bring about blessing to the whole world. And at the end of the day, we should approach these stories with an open mind and open heart and a trust that we will see God's bigger plan in mind. And really, our big idea today is this. We'll see that this story is a marker in God's masterpiece of salvation. And it should inspire us to put our full trust in a God who saves and fulfills his promises. And really, at the end of the day, real faith begins with putting our full faith and trust in God. And so to outline today, we're going to talk about this story. We're going to dive into what happened, and then we'll talk about how then we can apply this story to our lives. And so, um, and we'll, again, we'll see that this is a part of God's plan to restore all of humanity. And so this story begins really at the beginning of your Bibles. Um, at the beginning of your Bibles, it talks about how God created the world, and it was good. And but, in, but what happened was sin and evil entered into the world. There was a, a, a brokenness that came into it. And I think all of us can look around in our lives and know there is, there's hardships that we go through. There is brokenness um, that we experience on a day-to-day basis. And um, I have many atheist friends in my life that I have conversations with, and they'll ask me, well, you know, Joe, if, if God's so good, why would he allow for sin and brokenness to enter into the world? And obviously, that's a hard question to answer, especially in the time we have today. But what I usually say in those moments, the first thing I say is that, yes, there is sin. Yes, there is brokenness in the world. But God didn't just leave us there. He had a plan. He had a plan to bring restoration. And part of that plan was to start a family. Actually, in Genesis chapter 12, um, we meet this man, Abraham, who we talked a little bit about this summer. And Abraham... God came to him, and he was the father of the Jewish people, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to make your name get great. I want you to leave the land you're in, and I'm going to show you a land that I'm going to give you. And through your family, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so to summarize this, God promised Abraham three things. He promised him a family, he promised him land, and he promised him blessing. God promised Abraham family, land, and blessing. And when you look at these promises, this is, this is pretty crazy because specifically if you know the story of Abraham, him and his wife were very old when God said this to him. They were past the point of having children, and they were barren. They didn't have any children. But miraculously, God uh, brought them a son, Isaac. And Isaac then had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son Um, had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then last week, you know, we saw that this family formed into a nation. And, And we learned about how they were enslaved by the Egyptians, and then God brought a redeemer, Moses, who helped free the people out of Egypt. And then he was leading them to the promised land, point number two of God's promises, the land that he had promised Abraham. But as, he, Abraham, as Moses was leading the people to the promised land, because of some mistakes they made along the way, they had to wait for 40 years before they could enter the promised land. And so today, we will see 
the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to give him land. And then before the end of today, too, we'll see the fulfillment of blessing to the whole world. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1, that's where we'll be in our story, and that's where our story will pick up. And it says this in Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, um, to the people of Israel. And jump down to verse 5. So as I was with Moses, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. So to give a little understanding of who Joshua is, Joshua was an assistant of Moses. He served under him for years. Moses really trained him up to be the next leader of the nations once Moses moved on and died. Um, And I think when you think about Joshua, these are big uh, shoes that he's stepping into. There's probably a lot of pressure on Joshua, I'm sure. Um, Because the Bible talks about how Moses was um, one of the greatest men who ever lived. He walked with God. He was a faithful servant of the Lord, a great leader of God's people. And Joshua is now stepping into that position. And I don't know if you've experienced that in your lives, but I'm sure you, you know, have experienced this maybe in other people's lives. I, I, whenever a great leader, like, moves on, either from a company or, or, you know, passes away from a nation, there's always, like, a transition period that's a little bit stressful. You know, and I remember when um, Apple, when Steve Jobs passed away, there was, you know, questions like, is Apple going to make it? Are they still going to be as creative as they always been? Are they going to keep going without their great leader? And, you know, there's, there's a sense of struggle. What's going to happen? Me, as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, I've experienced this seriously because every time LeBron James leaves, the team falls apart, you know? <laughs> And we hope he comes back in a few years. Maybe we'll be relevant again. But until then, you know, it, there, there's a, those are big shoes to fill. And this is what Joshua is feeling. But God says to him this, Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. So here's the one constant. Even when great people move on, God is always the same. And, and that's, that's amazing. That should be encouraging for us. So ma- no matter who we are, whatever mission God has us on, he's going to be able to fulfill it because the same thing is constant, him. And he says he won't leave us or forsake us. And he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. This is so encouraging. And, we're, we're, and again, regardless of where we're at, this should be encouraging to us that God is constant and he is always with us. And so from this point, Joshua takes the mantle and he's leading the people of Israel. And what they start doing is he sends out spies into the land of Jericho and and to see what they need to do as they prepare for war. And so um, the story goes, they send spies into the land and they're caught. They're seen by some of um, the people of Jericho and the king's men and they're chased down. And so they start running and trying to find a place to hide. And they find a place to hide in one of the most unlikely places you would expect. A Canaanite woman, Rahab, a prostitute, invites the men into her home and hides them. And she hides them until the pursuers are long gone. And at this point, the spies are confused. They're like, why, why would you, a Canaanite woman, protect us? We're, you know what we're doing? We're, we're going to be attacking your city. What are you doing? And she says this. It's in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She says this. 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. So Rahab said, we, we have heard the things your God has done. We sh- we've heard about his power. We heard how he embarrassed the greatest nation, the Egyptians. And, and she said, we all heard this, and I knew this was the winning side. I knew this is the direction I needed to go. And this is, this is really crazy because this is a dangerous plan that she's doing. This is a dangerous thing that she's doing. She's turning against her own nation because she sees that it's so obvious that God's side is the side she needs to be on. And this is encouraging, too, because, again, she's, she's a prostitute. She's not perfect. I'm sure there's things in her life that she's done or has been a part of um, that makes her feel dirty or inadequate. But she knew that she needed to turn to this God and have faith in him that God would lead her and her family to safety. And so from this point on, she, she leads the men out of the city, and all she asks is that they would protect her and her family when they attack the city, and they said, absolutely, for sure, we will do that. Um, and then the men head back to Joshua, and they start making plans, um, Joshua and his generals, to start attacking the city. And at this point in the story, it says that Joshua went off by himself, and he was um, looking at the city. And I can just imagine this, almost like a movie, you know, where Joshua's looking at the city. He sees the, the gigantic walls, sees the lights from the city, and he's probably just thinking, man, how are we going to do this? What are we going to, how is this going to look? And you know, um, a little bit of history here. A lot of times, ancient warfare was not how you've seen it in movies. Typically, most wars were uh, decided through one side running out of resources before the other. And typically, in ancient cities, they were built up with tons of storehouses of food and resources that could last them for months. And so, there was a, there was a time game in mind, and Joshua was thinking through, what's it going to take to attack this city? And at this point, he's visited um, by someone he did not expect, and it's in Joshua uh, chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. That's scary. Um, and, and Joshua went to him and said, uh, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> he says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. So Joshua sees this guy, and he says, are you with us or for our enemies? And um, the angel says, neither. And it's interesting here what's happening. It's almost like the angel throws back on Joshua the question. And in reality, what we're seeing here is something much bigger than just the Israelites versus the Canaanites. God is pointing out that this is a spiritual war that we're entering. And the question is, is Joshua on God's side? Because God has chosen his side, and will the Israelites join God? God is for God. 
And, and for us in our lives, we need to remember that we need to enter into God's plan and God's story as we're seeking to do his will. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. And God is saying to Joshua, this is my plan. I'm going to tell you what to do. And so here's the plan that God gives Joshua. Um, he says to Joshua, okay, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your men, get them ready. Every man strap on their sword, get your shields, helmets, everything you need for this battle. And then I want you to get the priests, and I want them to get their horns, and I want them to bring the ark. And you're what you're going to do, Joshua, is you're going to march towards the city. Joshua's like, yeah, all right, what's next? You're going to march to the city, and you're going to walk around it one time, and then you're going to go home. And then, Joshua, I want you to get up the next day. Wait, the next day? I want you to get up the next day, and I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you to march around the city one time and then go home. And then I want you to do it six times. And then on the seventh day, there's a seventh day? Yes, a seventh day, I want you to go and march around the city seven times this time. And at the last time, I want you and the people to shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. That's the plan. Could you imagine Joshua now going back to his generals and saying, guys, here's the plan. They'd be like, okay, great, great idea, Joshua. Let's keep thinking about it. Let's keep working together. That's a great plan. All right. Uh, okay, we'll add that to the list of the ideas, you know. Um, here's what's cool. The people didn't have any quarrels or questions about it because they had seen all the things that God has done. Not only, you know, Rahab only heard the things God has done. They had seen it. They had witnessed it. And so they had full faith and trust in a God who could break down walls, who could break down an enemy defense. And to flip that, too, you know, the people of Jericho seeing this probably were like, what the heck is going on? What? You know, the first day they're ready for war and the people just walk around and go home. Like, what sort of witchcraft is this? What are they doing? You know, uh, they were probably, you know, I'm sure it's by day three or four, they're throwing stuff at them, insults, you know, and just like, man, this is going to be the easiest battle ever. They just keep walking around us. But little did they know how unsafe they were behind their big walls. And it says this, in um, Joshua 6, verse 15, it says this. On the seventh day, they rose early, and at the dawn of day, they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord your God has given you the city. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and then they captured the city. And then jumping down to verse 25. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua went out to spy Jericho. And then verse 27 closes the story. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. This is incredible. God worked powerfully in this story. 
God wanted to show the people of Israel and us too that we can do nothing outside of God's power and strength. They could do nothing. The people of Israel literally did nothing. They just walked around the city and listened to their God, and God tore the walls down. This is amazing. Rahab had salvation as well. She put her faith and trust in God, and she was saved from the destruction to come. This is a story of great faith. And I think it should encourage us as we, are, as we are reading this to know that we serve a big God who's powerful and who can move. Now, to transition a little bit, the question then becomes, you know, how do we apply this story to our lives? How should we take this story? Well, one way I, I think is a poor way to apply it, which is, is a way that often people will apply this story to their lives. Um, people will say, listen, um, you have walls in your life. You have a goal that you're seeking after, and there's something at the center of all these walls that you're trying to get to. And what you need to do, what they'll say is what you need to do is you need to persevere. You need to work harder. You need to keep walking around those walls when it doesn't make any sense, and the walls will come down. If you just are a better person, you keep working harder. I'm, I'm going to tell you that's a poor application of this story. Yes, this story, for one, historically happened. We should, we should trust in it. We should be thankful that we do serve a God who's bigger. But I think even to go back to the Hebrews passage and to see the context there, this story is talking about something very different. This story is pointing us to the reality of the gospel. And this story is pointing us to an understanding that in a lot of ways, in our sin and in our brokenness, we are much more like the Canaanites than we give ourselves credit for. In our sin and in our brokenness, we deserve the full wrath of God. This is what we deserve. But we don't get what we deserve always, which is amazing, which is a part of the gospel. There is actually two paths here. And the question is, will we go down the path of the Canaanites, or will we go down the path of the other Canaanite, Rahab, and find freedom and life? These, these are the two paths, and Rahab chose the path of life because she's heard, like us, about this God. She heard about his power, she heard about his strength, and she knew that destruction was coming, but she served him and turned to him and trusted in him. And here's the thing, guys, if we turn and we go down the path of Rahab, we get the blessings of Rahab as well. Rahab was saved from the wrath of God. Rahab was brought into the family of God. It says, you know, in the passage that she lived in Israel for the rest of her day. She was brought into God's family. And then finally, Rahab was part of God's plan of blessing to the world. She got to be a part of God's story, which is what we get as well. Not even just this story, but more specifically to Rahab's life. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 has the family line of Jesus and gives the family tree of all the people in Jesus' family, um, from Abraham to David and to other people as well. And in verse 4, it says this, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. By Rahab. Rahab is an ancestor of Jesus. Rahab, a Canaanite, was able to be a part 
of not only the family of God, but the family of Jesus. This is incredible. This is a, a great story. Again, this story serves as a marker for God's plan of salvation for the world. She was labeled by her sin. Rahab was labeled as a prostitute. But now we know Rahab by her faith because that is what she is labeled by. And through Christ, we get this as well. You were once labeled by your sin, but now you're labeled by your faith if you put your faith and trust in him. And through Christ, we are saved from the wrath of God because he took on the wrath that we deserved and died the death we should have died. And because of Christ, we who were once outsiders are now brought into the family of God. And then because of Christ, we get to be a part of God blessing the whole world. Guys, this story is all about Jesus and it should point us to a place of worship and trusting in Jesus to move in our lives in the world. And the question is today, which path will we choose? Will we choose the path of Rahab or will we choose the path of the Canaanites? And I hope this story encourages you and inspires you to go down the path of Rahab. And so with that, um, the band's going to come up and we'll pray as we close out our day.